Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. I'd like for us to dive into God's Word this morning. We're just moving like quite along. I'm going to try to get you guys out of here by like 11.15. That's the goal here today. <laughs> um, it's a sunny Sunday. Well, it should be. So, but uh, no, so we are in, we have been in a series. We've been looking at the book of Thessalonians. And for the last four weeks, we've been spending our time looking at Jesus's return. The book of First and Second Thessalonians has a lot to say about Jesus coming back. And for the last four weeks, we have been looking at this here. And it is very interesting is that as Paul writes to this church, uh, in both his first letter and in his second letter, he is reminding them of Christ's coming, but also what will be taking place in order for that to be happening. Well, we kind of finished off that series, and if you want to listen to that, you can jump onto our website, and underneath worship, you can listen to those sermons. Um, but we're going to be, sh- be shifting gears, but we are staying in the book of Thessalonians. We have been in Thessalonians for I don't even know how many months, People make fun of me after church every, every Sunday. Are we still in Thessalonians? Yes, we are still in Thessalonians. But now we are going to be looking at a series called Waiting for Our King. And the reason why I call it this is because at the end of 1 Thessalonians, Paul is writing to this church and he's reminding them of Christ's coming. And then the last section of the book, we start to see some of Paul's teaching. And, uh, and you see it play out in this order is that he is reminding them Christ is coming. This is what must be taking place. And as you wait, as the church is waiting for Christ's return, what does it look like? How are we supposed to be living in this time as we are waiting? And, I, and Paul here at the end of 1 Thessalonians gives a lot of instructions, a lot of teaching, and for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at those teachings here. So um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be turning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're only going to be reading a few verses. My goal today, earlier this week, my goal was to get through like six verses. I got bad news for you guys. Uh, We're going to get through like two verses today, okay, because there's so much going on here, and I think it's so vital for the church back then, but also for the church today. As we are waiting for Christ, for his second coming, what does it look like in our lives? How are we supposed to be functioning? What, What and how are we supposed to be living, specifically as a church body, as we're waiting for Christ? Return. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me today to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 12. And I'm going to ask for you to stand as we read God's word this morning. So this is chapter 5, starting in verse 12, and we're going to read 12 through 15, but we're not going to get to 15 today. I'll just warn you that. Let us read. As we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, And admonish you. Verse 13, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace amongst yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Let us pray, Father. 
We thank you for your word today. Father, I pray that as we dive in, Lord, may your spirit be working in our hearts and minds this morning. Father, I desire to see your church honor and glorify you in all that we do. Father, I give you praise for your word. We ask for you to come and teach us today. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated here. Like I said, we are applying these verses because just before these verses, Paul was literally talking about Christ's second coming, his return. And then he shifts these gears into this teaching. And I want us to be looking at what Paul and what God's word is going to be teaching us today as we wait for our king. So let's just dive into verses 12 and 13, and I'd like to reread them to you this morning here. He says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, who are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. As we are waiting for our king, God's word speaks to us about this relationship between leaders and the congregation. I don't know if you guys realize this, but you are attending a church right now. And within a church, you have got leadership within any church. And you also have the congregation who attends any church. And this, uh, this relationship, Paul speaks into because it is such an important relationship going on here. And I do want to warn you, I'm not speaking on this because it's Pastor Appreciation Month. And I just want you guys to just appreciate me a lot this month. Because God's word tells you to. That is not the reason why we are talking about this here. Because Paul is not talking about just himself. He's not talking about one leader. He's not speaking to a church and saying, respect your one leader. He's talking about the leadership as a whole in a church. And every church has got leadership. They've got different deacons and elders. And, and, and we, every church just has a variety of different leaders. But Paul is speaking into this relationship because this relationship is so important for every church. Not just our church here, but it is important for all of God's churches. Because when this relationship goes well, a church is flourishing. A church is fantastic. And when this relationship goes south, Many of you who have been a part of church for a long time, you've probably experienced when there's leadership and congregation and when it's not going well. And I think there, there is a reason on why Paul is speaking into this because it's so important, it's so vital that as God's people, as God's church is waiting for Christ to come, the relationship within his body has to go well. And I think what we are going to be seeing here. Um, is a very unique relationship. I don't know if you guys know this, but if you're a part of a church, you're a part of a very unique relationship. You are part of a volunteer relationship. Nobody's paying you to come here. No one's, you know, um, this isn't a job. 
And, you know, like I said, at a job, you may have confrontation and you may have conflict. You may not enjoy some employees and you may enjoy some other employees. You may have good bosses. You may be having bad bosses. But at the end of the day, you're getting paid to show up there. Well, within a church, you guys know this. Like, you're not getting paid, right? Like, like, like this relationship, it's a volunteer relationship. And in fact, it's such a weird relationship because on some aspects, the guy up front will be in, encouraging you and challenging you to be giving generously to God's kingdom, which is like the opposite of getting paid. And it's just, it just makes for this very unique relationship that we function in in this, in this world. There, there is not a whole lot of other organizations out there like this relationship. Now, you could look at other 501c3s or other just nonprofits where there's volunteers and, and stuff like that here. But God's word speaks specifically to his church, specifically to this relationship here, and the importance of the leadership of a church and the congregation of a church. Now, I want to kind of talk first of all about the leaders of a church because um, if we don't understand what a leader of a church is and what their role is and how Paul gives us this example of what a leader should be looking like here I, I think it's difficult to kind of dive into the congregational side and like what I said guys I'm not talking about just me here I'm talking about leadership within our church here and within all churches and if you are a part of Woodland here and if you are one of our leaders here this first section is going to be for you here today. So, Paul, or First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, dives in here, and he says this in verse 12. He says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you. There is this first word, the word labor among you here. Those who are working on your behalf. Now, Paul was a guy who knew how to work. And I think work ethic is one of the first things when you look at leadership within a church or with, within really any organization. If, I don't know if you've ever worked for a company where you had a boss, maybe you had a leader, that did not labor monks. You know, that was, he was a boss, but he really wasn't working too hard, right? You know, like, say, like, maybe you've been a part of that situation. Maybe you've thought maybe a boss isn't working hard enough here. Well, Paul, Paul is the example of work. Paul was a man that would go from town to town, city to city, knowing what was about to happen to him. He was about to get beat, imprisoned, jailed, flogged, fill it in. But Paul went from city to city, and when he was there, he gave the church the example of what work looked like. If you look at um, 1 Thessalonians 2.9, he says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Paul's, Paul is literally the example of what it looks like to be a leader. When Paul went into this town specifically, he worked night and day. He labored very well. And when I think of just church leaders, I think one of the most important aspects of being a church leader is somebody who's willing to labor. Someone who is willing to work hard and not, not, be, not be working hard grudgingly, but to, to just be willing to be 
a hard worker here. And we see that within Paul here. Paul was that example. Now, I do want to jump to Jesus here, and we could be talking about leadership within a church and what a leader looks like because the entire New Testament speaks on the character and speaks on so many aspects of what a church leader looks like. But I want to just jump to Jesus' words real quick. As Jesus is instituting the Lord's Supper, uh, something takes place right afterwards, which I think speaks into uh, first of all, who, who Jesus is and Jesus' example to us, but also these are the future leaders of the church, Jesus' first disciples. And turn with me to Luke chapter 24. So this is right after Jesus just got done establishing the Lord's Supper, reminding them that his body will be broken, that his blood will be poured out, and then Jesus washed their feet. And look at how the conversation changes. Verse 24, Luke 22, verse 24. A dispute, hmm, right away. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was going to be regarded as the greatest. Now, like I said, remember this in the context. Jesus just got done washing their feet and serving them the first supper or the Lord's communion, reminding them of what Jesus is about to do for them. And it says this, a dispute uh, arose which regarded as to who was going to be the greatest in verse 25. And he said to them, the king of the Gentiles exercised lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. Verse 26, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater? One who reclines at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Right away, Jesus' disciples the future church, okay? Like, literally, Jesus is about to die and become resurrected, and then he's going to pass the church off to his disciples. And they are arguing right away, right after Jesus just got done washing their feet and serving them the, the Lord's Supper. They start arguing. Well, who's going to be the greatest? You could say, who's going to be in charge? You know, like, how is this whole structure thing going to be working out? And Jesus has to remind them of what God's kingdom looks like. And Jesus uses world examples. He says, look at the Gentiles, which is basically just, just the non-Jewish people. He says, look at the world around you. Look at how the people in charge, look at how these kings exercise their authority over the people. And they were literally called benefactors back then. The people were there to benefit the kings, okay? It was not the king's job to be a benefit to them. The people were there to be a benefactor to the king. And Jesus says, look at this world around you in verse 25. He said, the king of the Gentiles exercised lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. And as Jesus is speaking this to his disciples, they would have known. They could have looked around at their world and been like, yeah, we've got these kings. 
and we've got Rome over us, and, and we've got all these other nations, and we've seen how these kings operate. These kings operate like the people are there to serve them. And then in verse 26, Jesus says this, not so with you. My kingdom, it doesn't operate how the world's kingdoms, kingdoms operate. He says, not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest. And the leaders is one who serves. You might be a little bit confused about let, let the greatest among you become as the youngest. The youngest people in that society were disregarded. They didn't hold any authority. They didn't hold any, any place within society at the time, right? They were just the kids. And Jesus looks at them and says, listen, you're not going to act and operate how the world operates. The world operates that there are leaders and then there's people subject to the leaders. And Jesus flips this around here and says, listen, this isn't going to be so with you guys. With, with the leaders of the first church, with the apostles, with, with those who Jesus is entrusting his church to. He says, it's not going to be so with you. The leaders are the ones who serve. And then look at verse 27. And I love what Jesus does here. It says, for who is the greatest? One who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it, is it not the one who reclines at the table? Real quick, remember what I just said. Jesus just got done instituting the Lord's Supper. Who was reclining at the table during that time? The disciples were. Who was washing their feet? Jesus was. This all just got done taking place. And Jesus is like reminding them of like, when you're, when you're at a table, who is technically the greatest in this moment? The one who is at the table or the one who is serving? And, and, and he, he, he is using social norms for this. At that time, if you were the one reclining at the table, you were considered in, in basically in like high honor, and then you had servants coming in. And Jesus flips this entire thing around on them, and, 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 and they would have like re remembered, like we were just reclining at a table, and we know who the greatest is in that room. It's the king of kings. It was Jesus who was the absolute greatest in the room. And Jesus reveals to them and reminds them, as, as God's servants and as God's leaders, I want you to live how I live. You're going to serve. You, you, you don't become a leader to have people serve you. You become a leader so that you can serve others. And Jesus is establishing this right away with his church. And I think about this as we, we look at 1 Thessalonians here. As Paul is writing to this church, Paul was the example of what a leader looks like. He worked hard, but he was also there to serve. And I think as a leader within any church, it is a beautiful thing when you see leaders who serve. When you see leaders who don't look at their lives as saying, I'm here so people can now serve me and just give me all this honor and all this praise. They're there to serve. And I think, I think it's vital for us, church family, that whether you're a part of Woodland Church or whether 
you're a part of some other church, the leadership of a church, the leadership of God's body is men and women who serve. Men and women who are not here to be served. But look at God's people and say, I am here to serve God's people. I'm here to be there for them. And, and as we flip back to 1 Thessalonians, I want to keep that in light. Keep those two perspectives here as we reread verses 12 through 13. Because I think the leadership role is important. Everything rises and falls on leadership. And how leaders operate and how leaders live and how leaders lead is so vital. But there's also the, the congregational side, the church family side. What does this look like here? In verse 12, he says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace amongst yourselves. When leaders lead well, church family, and like I said, if you are here and you hold a position of leadership, whether a deacon or on the, on the oversight council, I want to encourage you and challenge you. You are here to serve. I view that within my own life, and I want you as a leader here to view that as well. But congregation, leaderships, there's, there is clear words here for the congregation as well. How does this function together? And I think... First and foremost, if a leader leads well, it's really easy for the congregation to love them, right? Like, say, like, this is true within the workforce. This is true across all boards. When you have leaders who lead well, it becomes so much easier for, 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 for us who follow leaders to respect them, to love them, to care for them. It's this beautiful relationship here. And it, and listen, I've been a part of organizations. I've been a part of, of different jobs where I've seen poor leaders and I've seen great leaders. And I can tell you that when leaders lead well, it's so easy for me, myself, to be, to be following them. When I was at my last church, I had a pastor, Pastor Rich. I talk about him all the time. I feel like he was the greatest leader I've ever seen. He was a humble man. He led very, very well. He worked extremely, extremely hard every single day. And he was there to serve. It didn't matter if there was garbage in the parking lot, if something needed to be swept up. Pastor Rich served. He was just a servant. And it was so easy to love and respect and to honor him every single day because of his leadership ability. And I would say for us church family, that, that, that as we think about leaders within our own church, I think first and foremost, leaders, we have to be serving well, but also congregation. God's word commands us here to respect those who labor among you, who are over you in the Lord and admonish you, to esteem them very, very highly in love because of their work. I really do view this as a, as like a circular system. And I think that as a church does this well, a church becomes amazing. And those of you who, who, who maybe have been a part of churches where, you know, leadership possibly fell apart or there were some issues within leadership, I would just say, we have leaders, and leaders mess up. 
we need to like make this one clear here. Like any leader within any church or with any organization is going to mess up. I can promise you that. You may think, oh, well, they're a leader. They shouldn't mess up. They will mess up, okay? Like they will, they will make a decision at times that maybe you don't, that you won't always agree with. This happens across all forms. But how do we work together? That's ultimately the heart of Paul's message here, is that as we are waiting for Jesus to come, we have this, have this unique system in this world called, called, called the church, God's body. And as we're waiting for Jesus, as we are trying to be a light to this world, how do we function properly together within leaders and within congregation? And I think it is a beautiful thing when it works well together. When leaders serve and when congregation looks to the leaders and is praying for them and loves them and wants the very, very best for them. And it's like, when that happens, it is such a beautiful thing. But, 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 but when like bitterness sets in and when difficulties set in and when like things don't always go as planned happens, it's like, oh, those can become testy times within any body of Christ. And and I've said this so many times, especially during this entire COVID season. Jesus' prayer is that a church would be unified. Is that a church would be together. And we see this throughout all of the entire New Testament. That the body of Christ might become one. For us to be unified together. And I bring this up, again, not just because God's word teaches us this but just because of the seasons that we are in. I've said this time and time again. We are in a season in this world of disunity, where there is no unity, where there is no uh, agreement happening in our world around us. But how can we as a church, how can we as God's body, as we're waiting for Christ, honor Christ and also be a light to this world around us? And I would say it's how God's family gets along. It's how God's family operates together. How do we love one another? How do we forgive one another when mistakes happen? When maybe somebody in leadership at some point in time said something, did something that was hurtful. How do we forgive? How do we, how do we talk to brothers and sisters together and say, listen, we are in this fight together. We are the light of the world, church family. Jesus left authority for his kingdom, to the church. He said, you guys are going to go and proclaim the gospel to the world. And it's like, I see so often within so many churches, and I've been a part of it, and it becomes ugly, when churches are walking in dysfunction, when leadership is not serving, when leadership is, is just not honoring God. And, it's, and it becomes even worse when like congregants become upset, and they become bitter, and and it can just become such an ugly thing. But I'm, I'm challenging us today, church family, for us to be unified in Christ. For leadership and for the congregation, and not just me, I'm talking about all of our church leaders here, and this is true amongst all churches. It's a vital relationship. It's so vital. Because as we're waiting for Christ, we're here to be a light to the world. We are on mission to bring Christ to this world around us. 
And when churches start to fall apart and when there's all this grumbling and all this fighting and all this dysfunction going on, we're not a light. Now, I think that we need to, you know, at times address things when there's issues, but we address things in grace and love and forgiveness and say, God, I want you to be honored. I want to be seeing Christ come. I want to be bringing other people to, to Christ. But as how we love and how we work together is so important, church family. And like I said, I'm not preaching this because it's Pastor Appreciation Month and I'm looking for a free meal. <laughs> That's not the point here. The point is, is that I believe Paul addresses this to that church at that time for this specific reason, because Paul knew, and God knows, is that we as humans, anytime there's relationship, there's a mess. It's just true. Families, I mean, I mean, I mean, just fill it in everywhere. If you've ever been in a relationship with someone, it becomes messy. Now, maybe you are sitting here and you are saying, listen, I've never had a friend. I've never talked to a single person in my entire life. I have no idea what you're talking about, but I know that that's not true. We have relationships in this world. And it's so vital that they're in sync together. That there's this mutual love and care for, for one another. And my prayer for Woodland Church, more than just anything, is that the church would be unified in Christ. Now, I am grateful that I don't, you know, like, I'm not saying this because there's a bunch of problems. If you are new here, you might be thinking, oh man, pastor's bringing this up because this church is like dysfunctional. I'm not bringing it up because of that. I'm, I'm bringing it up because that's where we're at within God's word. We've got a wonderful church and I love our leadership, but it is important for us to be reminded of this as we are moving forward and specifically as we are waiting for our king to return for us to be unified, for us to be loving and praying for one another here. Because if we are going to be a light to this world, if we're going to be bringing Christ to this community around us, if there is dissension, if there is dysfunction, it becomes extremely difficult. It just becomes, you know, we end up focusing in on the wrong things there. But, but my prayer for us, and throughout what we are, are seeing here within God's word, this church family, that we would be unified. That is my prayer for us here, that we would stay unified throughout all of this world around us. And, and I know I've been saying this a lot, but you turn on anything and you see what is happening and there's, there's no unity in this world. But God's family is called to be unified. God's family is to be called to be together as we bring Christ to this world. It's a challenge to us. And I think, honestly, we have to protect it. We have to fight for it because it's so easy to just let this world tear us apart individually. And it's just like, that's, that is not Jesus' prayer. That is not God's plan for his church. But I want to pray for us this morning. And I believe the, the, uh, the worship team has one more song. Am I right, Joanne? I'm looking to you. No? Troy? Yes. Yes. We're going to invite the worship team. And I'd like for us to be singing. Troy's like, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, one more time here. But, but why don't we stand this morning here and let us pray. Father, as we come to you, as we look to your word this morning, 
Father, my prayer is that we would be unified. Lord, that, that your leaders, that your people will serve and serve well, that they will work hard, but that they will serve your people. And Father, help us to love and honor our leaders as well, Lord. God, we just give you praise this morning. And Father, as we sing and as we worship you, God, come and remind us of how great you are, Lord. We pray this now in Jesus' name.